Welcome to The Mend, a podcast sponsored by the Center for Crime Victim Services here in Vermont. We do this podcast twice a month to look at all sorts of different services, organizations related to victims and survivors of crime. Today on the show, I am so thrilled to have a dear friend of mine, Leah Heggie, who is here from Altruistic. The show was created to take a deeper look at services, organizations, and concepts for victims, survivors of crime, community members, and all who would like to know and be more informed. We want to acknowledge the healing process and provide resources not only in our state, but throughout the country that could benefit everyone as they continue to mend and as they help their community. As your host, I navigate my own healing process and throughout this world, and it's always an ever-evolving process. And so I tend to share a few snippets about my life as well. But our show is here for everyone. Um, as always, I like to begin with a trigger warning. Our goal is to create a safe place to discuss topics of healing and services available, but we may occasionally hear a story related to a crime, discuss our mental health, or other sensitive matter. So we urge you to take care of yourself and listen at your own discretion. Today is very special to me because I get to have one of my dearest friends to the show, Leah Heggie. Leah and I met seven years ago in Port Townsend over a game of Euchre, which for those of us who do not know is a Midwest card game. And little did I know that game of cards would in some ways lead to me sitting here today. Uh, Leah is the first person I talked with about wanting to shift my career into victim services. For those listeners who know the show Parks and Rec, she is the lead, she is the Anne to my Leslie and the Leslie to my Anne. Um, I adore this woman so much and I'm so glad to hear her, have her here today. Leah is the Vice President of Research and Program Development at Altruistic, uh, and not just my dear friend, but she does amazing work that we're gonna talk about. Uh, Leah co-leads Altruistic's programs and training efforts. She works on strategic planning and capacity building. She provides training and technical assistance in power-based personal violence prevention. Leah provides leadership in developing prevention curriculum and coaching of staff trainers. She has served as a violence prevention educator and domestic violence and sexual assault advocate in, Mont in Montana and as a program evaluator for local and statewide violence prevention initiatives in Montana, Kentucky, Idaho, and Alaska. She is coming with us today from Montana. Welcome so much. Thanks for being here, Leah. Thanks, Anna. What a pleasure to be here. Yes. Um, Let's start by just getting to know a little bit about you and what led you into this field of work, um, whatever you'd like to share, or just kind of how you came to this role that you're in. Sure. It, I guess my journey into violence prevention is my whole adult life, I feel like, has led me to this position in this career. I feel like I'm in my dream job now. Uh, so when I was in college, lots of things happened in college. Um, I, I experienced forms of violence. I had close friends who experienced assault and, um, and, and different things that were really concerning. There wasn't a lot done about it. Um, I took my first class on violence against women in college. And I, I remember hearing the stats for the first time and just feeling really blown away by it and pretty outraged that there wasn't more being done on our campus about the issue, specifically sexual assault, but um, we talked a lot about domestic violence, stalking, other things like that. 
Um, and so I trained to be an advocate in my sophomore year of college and uh, have sort of been working in the field in different ways ever since then. Um, my first kind of real job in the, the field was in rural Montana and um, that really led me to prevention. Um, we were doing a lot of advocacy work then, uh, but we were, it was sort of like this shift into the world of prevention. I was working with high school students, middle school students, and really looking at healthy relationships and uh, bystander intervention and things like that, um, which led me into program evaluation. And I went back to grad school at the University of Kentucky. Um, and that's where I met Dorothy Edwards, who is my boss now. She's the founder of um, and creator of Green Dot Violence Prevention Strategy. That's kind of our um, our biggest program that we put out into the world at Altruistic. And, uh, and my world has <laughs> kind of never been the same ever since I met her, um, and, <laughs> as you know, Anna. Um, and, and so I get to do, you know, 100% of my job now is, uh, is focused on prevention. Um, I think the work around uh, supporting survivors and response work is incredibly, obviously paramount to anything else. Um, but I, I found out that my strengths lie in prevention and my um, just what I want to do in terms of changing this issue is really what led me here um, rather than the kind of the response side of things. So awesome. Thank you for sharing. And I've gotten to be, you know, a part of some of that work of even just back in the day driving you to the ferry to catch planes as you flew yeah. all over the country to speak and do trainings and was just yeah. in awe of how you've navigated all that you do um, is just incredible. Can you tell our listeners what the organization Altruistic is, how it came to be? Um, we're gonna get more into prevention as we go, but just kind of what this organization is. Sure. Uh, so it's, so Altruistic is, I, I mean, our, our main goal is to um, engage people in prevention to reduce the number of people who are impacted by forms of power-based personal violence. Our main focus for years and years has been uh, reducing sexual assaults, domestic violence, and stalking. But most recently, in the last couple of years, we've expanded our work into uh, workplace harassment, hazing, um, things like that that happen more in the workplace, more in communities, things like that. Um, so we're all about the reduction of violence, essentially. Um, and getting people kind of engaged in actions that can contribute to safer communities, safer workplaces. Uh, so we, Dr. Edwards, who's, who's my boss, um, she was at the University of Kentucky when she wrote our first um, Green Dot. And Green Dot's kind of our flagship program. And that's a bystander intervention program. And it really looks at engaging people in both reactive and proactive behaviors that can contribute to those healthier, more positive communities that are essentially inhospitable to violence. Um, and Green Dot was then expanded into high schools, middle schools, and other places. Now we're in the military, um, we're in workplaces. And um, I guess what I, part of our history really is, is so Dr. Edwards, um, and like a lot of us in, in the field, um, violence against women, gender-based violence, whatever you want to call it, uh, it's really challenging to work in a field where um, we're working our asses off, essentially, um, trying to make sure that people don't get hurt, but we're not seeing the numbers drop, especially mm -hmm. amongst some of the highest risk populations. And so um, for her personally, uh, she kind of decided to throw out everything she thought she knew about response and prevention in this field and went into the research and looked at a lot of different disciplines. So not just the field of violence against women, but she looked at 
um, you know, social marketing and um, communication, public health, um, dif social diffusion, behavioral psychology. I, I mean, I could go on and on. And she just really looked at, I mean, obviously we're not the first people to try to change behaviors. Um, and Green Dot is what she came up with. And it's, it's evolved a lot over the years. Um, Green Dot was born in 2006 at the University of Kentucky, and, and then it was um, evaluated on college campuses and in high schools and has shown some really good impact. So we've seen um, some reductions of uh, 17 to 23% across different forms of violence, like sexual assault, uh, dating domestic violence, um, harassment on both college campuses and in, um, and in colleges. D did I say colleges? Colleges and high schools. Yes. Well, I think that's what's amazing is that you've been around for long enough, like 12 years now, 13? Yeah, well, that you can see the data that the programs existed. Yeah, yes, we right. So we can actually so we've had outside researchers evaluate it and um, seen that reduction in perpetration and victimization. And so we know we're doing some things right. Um, we're we're kind of one of our philosophies is to always be improving, like always look at what are the active ingredients, what are what's working, what's not working, what's landing well with people, what's not. And so, like I said, we've evolved a lot. We became altruistic in 2017 um, because uh, we used to be called Green Dot, et cetera. And we, um, we will always do Green Dot and that's always gonna be our main kind of program that we put out into the world. But we found ourselves doing a lot more consulting work and other, um, other work around prevention, capacity building, um, and things like that. And so it wasn't, you know, Green Dot wasn't the only thing that we were doing. And so um, we rebranded and, and just have like a, a little bit of a broader mission and can put more out into the world in terms of support for communities and campuses and uh, workplaces doing prevention work. That's awesome. Um... Can you tell me a little bit, I mean, this is such a broad question and maybe we should, I'm gonna flip around my questions a little bit, but can you talk to us about what is prevention? Cause I know it's a huge word to even like unpack, but can yeah. you share with our listeners your philosophy around it, how you approach it, how that looks in a community, um, just kind of your, your stump speech on that? Sure, I, I would say our, Philosophy on prevention might look different than other organizations doing this work. I think there's incredibly good work out there. Um, you know, the CDC's definition of primary prevention is really about preventing first-time perpetration um, or reducing victimization, which, which obviously we're, we're about that too. Um, but our philosophy is really putting the tools in anyone's hand they need to contribute to a safer community. Um, so we look at it through a really solution-focused lens um, rather than a more problem-focused lens. So we're not talking to any of our audiences as potential perpetrators or as potential victims. We're really talking to all of our audiences as bystanders, allies, change agents, um, people who can contribute to a solution. So kind of assuming good in people, um, assuming people believe that rape and abuse are bad. Most people do. Um, they just haven't been given the skills they need or the kind of actions to take to contribute to, to safer communities. Um, so we're really about giving people the skills to both intervene when they see something concerning happening, kind of feeling confident and confident in what they're doing um, to, to reduce the likelihood that that thing escalates or happens. 
Um, and then number two, giving people some skills around proactively setting positive norms within their community um, that make it less likely that violence ever happens. Um, and so to me, prevention is really about engaging the masses in the behaviors and skills they need to change the culture. Um, you know, the this is a cultural level issue that we're talking about. It's not just a few people who are impacted by these forms of violence. And so to me, um, I want to, you know, anybody who comes to any of our trainings to leave kind of ready to step into action to do something. Um, and that varies from person to person. I, I don't want people to come to any of our trainings and feel like they have to volunteer at the local shelter um, or, you know, take this on as a part of their job description. What I really want to do is give people manageable things that they can do in their everyday lives um, that can contribute to a reduction in these forms of violence. So that's really what we're about. That's how we see prevention happening. And I think it's why we've been so successful um, because people um, who go through Green Dot training and some of our other work um, don't feel the same level of defensiveness or kind of, um, you know, classically and historically in our field, a lot of times people feel like um, blamed for forms of violence. Men often feel blamed. We often talk to them as potential perpetrators. Women often feel disempowered. Um, we've often used risk reduction strategies that are, um, you know, working uh, to reduce violence in the ways that we need them to. Um, and so, you know, people can say like, that's not my job or that's not about me or this doesn't apply to me. Um, and the way that we approach prevention is really how can we get as many people as possible to actively align with the mission of prevention and contribute to it. Um, so we've had really great success across gender identities and we, we have some work to do, I will say, um, you know, around uh, making all of our programming and all of our work more um, inclusive of, across different other identities like race and things like that. We're doing a lot of work around that because um, the issue, I mean, the highest risk populations um, are still marginalized when we talk about the field of prevention. Absolutely. And so um, we've got a lot of work to do. Absolutely. Um, how are you approaching that work, if you can speak to that within working within these marginalized communities? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, we're doing a lot of both internal and external work. Um, we're, we're working, you know, we've got uh, lots of folks on our staff who have much greater expertise than I do in, in issues around diversity and inclusion and equity. Um, and so I'm certainly not taking the lead on that. And they could speak more uh, eloquently about it, but um, we're all like we're we're all pretty dedicated to it. We know we've made some missteps about that, um, and you know, so we're working. Like when we go into new populations, um, we do a lot of work to better understand the culture, better understand the experience of violence, the risk of violence, what it looks like, um, what barriers for bystanders look like, why why people might not intervene because of um, the the kind of cultural context or things like that. And so we do a lot of focus grouping, um, kind of key stakeholder interviews. We do a lot of evaluation to better understand what's landing and what's not, um, what's contributing to action and, and what's maybe uh, making it less likely. Um, we're you know, trying to partner with organizations that have more of a mission around racial justice um, and things like that so that we can learn from them. Um, and uh, so those are just some of the things, but um, we have a, a, a committee and at altruistic, I, I, I don't wanna get into like all of the details of it, um, but it's, I would say for 2020 and beyond, it's one of our kind of biggest um, 
missions to make sure that every single person who attends any of our trainings or works for our organization um, feels like it's meant for them um, and that they can utilize it to make their community safer. That's awesome. It's very important as we know, and so great that you guys are working on that. Um, can you speak a little bit more about your training just so our audience understands like what does it look like to be a solid bystander intervene once again i know this is like an all-day several-day training so yeah. just um you know kind of the quick synopsis of that yeah well i mean our our instructor trainings are four days but what we do you know in a workplace or on a college campus what our instructors do are you know, anything from a 15 minute talk to a six hour training and everything in between. Um, and so we, we, the way that we engage people is kind of through four steps. The first step being helping people recognize warning signs of these forms of violence, whatever it is that we're focused on. So on a college campus, we're focused on sexual assaults, domestic violence and stalking. In a workplace, we're really focused on harassment, um, uh, maybe forms of hazing, forms of discrimination bullying, things like that. Um, so we really want people to be able to recognize really early warning signs before you know something escalates to uh, a bigger issue. Um, and then also immediate warning signs. Um, so you know they know when something's about to happen. And then kind of after the fact, uh, so people can recognize if somebody, somebody is being hurt or um, abused and see if, if there's something that they can do there. So the first step is just really being able to kind of understand the issue and recognize when it's happening. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second kind of step in our, in our trainings is to acknowledge and legitimize barriers to intervention. So, you know, if it were super easy to intervene in all of these forms of violence, we'd all be doing it and we wouldn't be having this conversation. But it, it turns out that intervening, especially when there's a high risk situation happening right in front of you can be really challenging for a lot of um, a lot of reasons. Sometimes it's personal, you know, like people are shy or they're, they don't like confrontation or they're worried about their personal safety. Sometimes it's more peer related. They don't want to, you know, make a big deal out of something that isn't a big deal to their, to the rest of their, their friends, or they don't want to be embarrassed or squeaky wheel. Sometimes it's organizational for workplaces. Oftentimes it's, you know, there's a culture of silence. silence. Um, they don't, they don't want to be retaliated against if they say something. Um, maybe they're worried about their career progression, things like that. Um, and then there's cultural barriers that can contribute to it. We know that um, white people are less likely to get involved if it's a, a, a couple of, um, to, like a man and a woman who are people of color. Um, we know that straight people are less likely to get involved with a same-sex couple, things like that, that can keep people from acting as well. So what we do is we really talk about what are those barriers because we know like the only way that people will do something that feels realistic for them in terms of intervention is if they first considered what's made it hard for them. Mm -hmm. um, and so then that leads us to the third step, which is really looking at realistic solutions. Um, and we utilize, we call the three Ds. Um, we wanna give people options. So like if they are shy or if they're worried about personal safety, there's still things they can do to get around those barriers really about getting around them, not about getting over them. Like we're not gonna you know, take a shy person from shy to extrovert in, right. in an hour long presentation. But it's really about giving options. So the three Ds are direct, delegate and distract. Um, so giving people options to check in, 
um, to walk somebody to their car, um, to, you know, just like lots of different ways of being direct check-in with the person causing harm or the person being harmed. Um, and then delegate is just basically getting somebody else to do the thing. Um, maybe somebody who knows the people better, um, somebody who's more equipped, has more authority, um, who maybe um, knows this or, or grabbing a group of friends to intervene because mm -hmm. there's strength in numbers, things like that. And then distract is basically doing something to um, de-escalate the situation, to sort of divert the attention away from it. So that could be like spilling a drink, changing the subject, just doing something that keeps it from escalating. Okay. And so we really run through lots of practice of those things. So really considering what are your barriers given this specific situation and what's a way that you can work around them. Um, and then our fourth step is more proactive. So those are what we call reactive green dots, like ways to intervene when you see high-risk behavior. Um, and then we kind of expand the definition of bystander, what people can actually do to contribute into a proactive um, kind of behavior. And that's about proactively setting positive norms within your community. Um, so it's basically letting people know your values around this issue, kind of what you say and what you do um, that makes people know that this matters to you, that um, and building norms within a community or in a setting that, that violence isn't tolerated here and everyone does their part. Um, so it might be even just like, hope, you know, posting a poster with bystander tips in your, in your office or having a conversation with somebody telling them about the three Bs. Um, we've had lots of uh, leaders in the military work that we've done talking about prevention and utilizing prevention language in the, their regular weekly briefings. Awesome. Um, things like that are, are kind of kind of reimagining the cultural norms where this type of violence and stuff isn't acceptable. Um, and, and it uh, gives people tools so they don't have to see something happen in front of them in order to contribute to that safer community. I love that. I love that. And all of that comes together. And I really like that you take the approach of we're not changing the person. We're not changing whoever the bystander is. We're saying this is who you are. These are all these yeah. different things you can do. I think that's so important. Yeah. Um, yeah, we to... joke a lot. There's no personal growth required. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but it's just, it makes so much sense. It's like, okay, you don't have to go in and like, you know, get physical and break up this thing. Like there's all right. these things you can do that are within your safety, within your comfort zone, quote unquote, that can still make a huge difference. Right. Right. And it's really the impact of a bunch of people doing those things. Mm -hmm. So nobody has to do all of it. If yeah. you just do your small moment, your small things, and enough people in the same community also contribute in small ways, that's when the culture starts to change. I love it. Can you give me, like, I've been I've been on your, your Facebook, the Green Dot Facebook group for a long time, and so I see people post when they've had a successful Green Dot, um, when they've right. know, interven intervened or done some sort of bystander intervention. Um, could you share an example of a story that maybe really struck you? Um, is that okay to do? Um, this woman was at the grocery store and she walked out um, in the parking lot. There was a couple that was arguing and uh, a man had his partner kind of up against the car um, and she didn't know what to do. She just was really nervous. She was worried about her personal safety. This, this was kind of a big guy. Um, and so she just all of a sudden decided to have lost her cell phone um, and so she was like looking all around the couple, like, I lost my cell phone. I need to call my kids. I don't know where it is. Can you help me look? And this couple, like it just sort of deescalated the situation. They started helping her look. She was freaking out because it was actually in her pocket and it might ring, but it didn't <laughs> ring. Um, and it sort of deescalated the situation. Now that's a story where that, that incident that could have happened didn't happen. 
we don't, you know, with domestic violence, the likelihood that something happened later is pretty high. Mm -hmm. Um, but I like that story because it, it, it gave her something to do in a moment that felt really high risk for her to stop it in its tracks. And if enough people kind of, we always think, you know, is distract enough. Um, but if enough, like if everybody distracted, whenever they saw something like that happening, it really would become kind of a, an environment that like perpetration becomes impossible. Right. Um, another story I heard pretty recently, um, there was a, and this is a lot of the stories that we hear, people will say to us something like, I don't know if this is a big deal, but this is what happened. Um, and it was a, a story of a young woman, she was in a, a sorority and um, she's a senior. She had a, a group of freshman uh, women that had just joined the sorority and one of them came in really, really excited. They were gonna go um, to this party on Friday night that was um, women drink free. Um, it was with a fraternity, a senior guy had invited her. She was really excited and the, senior sister noticed that there's kind of a power differential there. There's a senior guy asking this freshman to come to this thing. Um, there's going to be high risk drinking there um, with women, you know, being kind of targeted to get drunk possibly. And so the, the, the older sister just said, great, we'll all go together and we'll all leave together. And that's what she did. It was like a Tuesday. They made this plan for Friday. Um, and who knows if anything was going to happen or not happen but she knew enough to recognize that there was some warning signs there. Yeah. And um, so to me, I love that story because it's like she prevented a potential sexual assault three days before it even happened. Absolutely. Um, and, and so I just, I love that she had the skills to do that. Um, we've got tons of good stories from workplaces and um, proactive behavior. I don't know how many you want, but I could. That's awesome. Thank you just for sharing a couple. I think it's really yeah. important to hear that. Um, so I have Leah Heggie here today talking about prevention with the organization she works with, Altruistic. I'm trying to go back over my notes because we kind of went all over the place. Um, I want to cover one more kind of thing that your organization does. While researching this interview, I was reading about pivots on your website. Hmm. And can you share with everyone this concept of what a pivot is and how maybe we can incorporate this into our own lives? Sure. That's so interesting uh, that you picked that up on our website. I love it. Um, yeah, we talk a lot about uh, pivots and what we mean by that is sort of rethinking what we thought we knew. Okay. Um, our, our field, and, and, and I say this with lots of humility and, and lots of mistakes I've made in our field too, um, becomes very like, and I think this is true across different fields, but um, we become sort of stagnant in how we approach things. Like this is how we do prevention or this is how we do advocacy. Um, even though there's emerging, emerging research all the time that, that can give us clues to improving our work. Um, and one of the things that we've really looked at, um, I wrote down some, some notes about this and I wanna. Um, is that your computer or mine? I don't know. I think it was mine. We're okay. Continue. Okay. Um, one, of, one of the, I think, biggest things that we found is our field started with response, right? So we, uh, obviously, the most important thing when we, you know, as a culture kind of realized how many people were being impacted by sexual assault, domestic violence, and things like that. Um, 
that we needed people were safe once it happened to them, that they had a safe place to go, they had a support system um, built in. Um, we also had to make sure that perpetrators were held accountable. And so that's where our field really started. And that's where a lot of work is still being done and needs to you know, continue to be done. Um, but we, when we kind of shifted to prevention, we took a lot of the things that we learned from doing response work and we sort of tried to apply them to prevention. And it turns out response and prevention are two very different things. They're informed by different research. They require different skill sets. Um, they have different outcomes. And so one of the kind of biggest pivots that we've made is really kind of disentangling response and prevention. So shifting from, you know, building awareness and knowledge to building action, actionable skills in people. Um, instead of focusing on the problem, we're focusing on the solution. Instead of um, just teaching skills that are reactive or responding to something happening, we're talking about skills that are proactive, that people can do in their daily lives to prevent violence. So those are some of the pivots that we talk about a lot um, in our work. And I do think like the lesson for me in my personal life that you know others may may want to apply is 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 not making assumptions about what you think you know. Yeah. Um, always looking at you know what is new and emerging. Um, what new information can you gather about the thing that you care about? Um, I also think really looking at if what you're doing is working in the way you want it to. We're really big on evaluation and making sure that. Um, we're reaching our intended outcomes. And when we're not, we kind of tear uh, apart what we're doing and find out, try to find out what, what it is that is contributing to <laughs> failure, contributing to yeah. um, you know, lower, lower outcomes than we wanted to see. Um, and so that's how I view it. I mean, I don't even remember what we have on our website about pivots, but um, to me, it's really about just kind of shifting our thinking, shifting and pushing people to shift their thinking too, so that we can progress as a culture. Um, and really try to fix this problem. Thank you for sharing that. And that's what I kind of picked up on with it. And I was like, let's ask about this because I felt like it was so applicable to the work that we're doing. It's something I really admire about the organization you're with is the ability to keep shifting and growing and being like, okay, this wasn't working. How do we do this? And how that's applicable to our everyday lives. Um, yeah. You know, as much as I'd like to think I've got it all right, I don't. And just the ability to evaluate self in the work that I'm doing or just in how I navigate and being able to pivot to keep growing, I think is so important. And yeah, I just love that that's a focus of the work that you're doing. So, yeah. So I have Leah Heggie here today from Altruistic. And with the work that this is such another broad question, but as we kind of wind down, with the work that you've dedicated your life to, how do you envision a future for less violence? I mean, I feel like both of us are like, that's probably a long ways away, but you're working on actively making that happen. Yeah, so are you, are you asking how do we get there or what do I believe is possible? What do you believe is possible? Okay. So one of or the- Or what do you dream is possible? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's dream versus like there's the same but different. Yeah, I mean we we talk about this a lot. We think that one of the most vital ingredients to prevention is hope. So the belief that our each of our contributions matter and that things can be different. Um, and so we do. I mean, this is a topic. It's one of my favorite topics um, to think about because I think that if if we can't, you know, it's this this issue has been around for a long time. We've been hearing 
uh, you know, statistics like one in three, one in four, um, one in five, depending on the form of violence you're talking about, um, or the population for decades. And so it can be really easy for people to resign to violence being inevitable in our culture. Uh, but I, I think the thing that gives me the most amount of hope is that it isn't going to take one of us, like one of us doing something big. It's not going to take, you know, like some kind of magical policy or law, because if, if that were true, we would already be there. To me, the magic and prevention and, and what I think is possible is in the small choices that we make. Um, and getting more and more people kind of bought into that message of like, you don't have to do it all. You don't even have to fully care about this issue. If you see something that crosses your line, here's some skills to intervene. If you feel like having a conversation about this, posting something, liking something, sharing something on social media, um, these are things that you can do. It takes you 10 seconds in your daily lives. And if enough people do that, we start to see some momentum spread. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, like I, I really do believe, especially, you know, where we've had the most momentum in this movement on college campuses now in the military. And by we, I mean that in the really big picture, the Me Too movement, um, you know, there's, there's so much happening right now that more and more people are connecting it to their own lives, to mm -hmm. their own roles. Most of us have our own experiences with this issue, whether that's a direct experience or someone we love has been impacted. Um, and so I think people want to do something. They, again, just haven't been handed the thing to do. So I think um, that it's very possible if we give people really small actions to contribute, more and more people will. Um, so in terms of my vision of the world with less violence, I think you're right. Like, I don't think in our lifetime we're going to see no violence. I don't know that we'll ever see no violence. I, I I believe that we haven't even begun, though, to reach our full potential at reducing it. Mm -hmm. um, it is not an inevitable issue. Um, there's so much work being done in, in the field of primary prevention, even in, in response work that's contributing to better policies, better laws, um, more accountability, um, and all of these things kind of comprehensively contributing are, are changing the picture. Um, so, yeah, I have this, uh, <laughs> I have a colleague that um, we talk a lot about our kids. And so she's helped me sort of like get to this point where I can actually imagine what it could be like to have a conversation. I have two small daughters. They're almost two and the other one's four. Um, you know, by the time they get to college, maybe they're in like history 101 or something and they're reading about college campuses when I was in college, right? They're seeing the one in four, the one in five. And I can just picture my four-year-old who is sassy. Um, you know, imagine what she's gonna be like at 18. Um, calling me <laughs> up and saying, mom, is it true that when you were in college, one in five women were sexually assaulted? Is it true that one in 10 rape reports were made by men? Is it true that, you know, <laughs> people were stalked on college campuses. Is it true? You know, like it, like it has to be a typo for her. Right. You know, like it's so crazy for her to think of that as a part of my life. Um, and I get to say, yeah, that was true, but it's not true anymore. That's and, an like, amazing. That's kind of the vision of the world that I want to work towards. Yeah. And I know it might sound wild for people to wrap their heads around in the next 
16, 18 years that we could make that big of an impact. But I feel like the momentum right now is on our side. Mm-hmm. People care about this issue. People want to do something. It's on us as prevention practitioners, people who care about this issues to give them things to do. So I feel like we're just starting to kind of hit our stride in the field of prevention. And yeah, and we're out there working with young people on college campuses who are going to be entering the workforce, who are going to be leading. Yeah. And that, like I was just at Penn State speaking earlier this week, and you know I've got all these guys and gals in this room, and a lot were from fraternity, fraternities and sororities, and I'm talking to them, and they're so engaged, and I'm just thinking, yes. like, as I was ending, I'm like, you all are the new change makers. Like, yeah. what, how you conduct and go out there is just everything, and it's just really, like, it just made me feel really brighter about the future. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean there's a whole new generation of people who are gonna change this whole thing. It's, yeah, I think if we if we can connect to our own hope and that's what we lead with, you mm-hmm. know, when we're talking about this issue, rather than leading with how devastating the problem is, even though it's absolutely devastating and absolutely impacting lives, um, I think that more people can hear hope um, and connect to it in a lot of ways. Um, I agree. I totally agree. I, yeah, I don't know if that was what I wanted to say, but. I'm hopeful. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I think it's like, I mean, I don't know. I take a lot of joy in this work and I think you do too. And being able to approach it from that joyful and hopeful place. um, It just, it makes such a difference in how I live my daily life. And Yeah. yeah, you know, just finding that joy and hope again for myself and now turning that into this work has been so important and yeah I could personally talk to you for hours about all of this and everything else under the sun of course my beautiful land mermaid but is there any major points that you feel like we haven't covered as we wind down I think we've kind of highlighted over the overarching but is there anything I feel like I said so many words um (laughs) but I I think the I don't know for me the take-home and one of the things I admire most about you, Anna, is is just talking about it, just being unafraid to do your own work and figure out what your role and contribution can be, and you know, spreading spreading the news that we can all contribute to a different culture. Yeah, and we all can in whatever way. I mean, that's the work that you're doing is you're out there showing people that you can contribute in whatever way you feel comfortable. Um, So Leah, again, thank you so much for being here today. I am just beyond honored to be able to bring you here to The Mend and just hear everything you're doing to help all of us be better community members and create a safer community in whatever way we can. It's, you know, a joy to have you as one of my dearest friends and so much fun to get to be able to bring a friend on here every now and then. Though I wish we were sitting together playing a game of Euchre right now, watching 9 to 5, but hopefully we will be soon. Um, if you would like to learn more about the work that Leah is doing with Altruistic and maybe engage in bringing one of their trainings to your community, you can go to altruistic.org. That is A-L-T-E-R-I-S-T-I-C.org. And I feel like you already kind of closed with your positive message of hope. But if there's one parting thought that you could offer up to listeners, what would that be? 
I'll use our one of our taglines. No one has to do everything. Everyone has to do something. I love that. Thank you. Thank and you so much for this opportunity, Anna. You're amazing. You I are too. You. you are too. I love you too. And um, I'm just so thankful for having you here today. Um, thank you everyone for listening and joining us. And remember, you don't have to do everything. You just have to do something. Was that what it was? I love that. Yes, basically. Um, if you have any questions about the show, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me, Anna, at standupresources.com. And I'm your host, Anna Nasset, and I'll be here in just a few more weeks with another episode of The Mend. Thank you so much, and be well.